Are you an Egyptian colloquial Arabic learner, a modern standard Arabic learner, a classical Arabic learner, an Arabic learner anyways, any other language learner? You've reached a new world. Well, a new language is a new world. Rather, talk like an Egyptian. A book on key idiomatic expressions for sounding natural in Egyptian Arabic. Available on Amazon and Lingualism.com Drink water, check. <clears throat> Clear throat, check. Test microphone, check. Close cabinet, check. You're listening to Tripod, the trilingual podcast in its English version. If you're passionate about the miracle of human language and human voice, you've reached your destination. Are you an Egyptian colloquial Arabic learner, a modern standard Arabic learner, a classical Arabic learner, an Arabic learner anyways, any other language learner? You've reached a new world. Well, a new language is a new world. Welcome to... Walk like an Egyptian. Rather, talk like an Egyptian. Of course, we know that it's one of the top spoken languages in, in the world. It's spoken by 350 million people around the world. It's a Semitic language. And it's, uh, it has a very um, sacred status or a high status for uh, 1.8 billion Muslims around the world. And it's formed of, its alphabet is 29 letters. It's a very uh, deeply rooted language, a very ancient one. And it has 16,000 root words. And when I say root words, it's not words as in vocabulary, it's root words. Uh, the Arabic language, when, when you have a root word, you can have up to 40-something derivatives from the very same root. So to that extent, it's very multi-diverse and, and very rich and multi-layered language. Now, going to, the, to how linguists and especially non-Arabic linguists classify uh, Arabic, they classify it into classical Arabic, and then modern standard Arabic, and then colloquial Arabic. Now, classical Arabic is the, the, the clearest example of it is the Qur'an, which is the, the holy book for Muslims, and ancient poetry as well. Uh, the Qur'an was uh, revealed 1400 years ago, and at that time, the Arabs were so eloquent, they, were, they would like, say good mornings in, in poetry, they were so poetic, and we can say that they, they, they could you know, like, improvise poetry just on the spot. And when we say poetry, because I used to write poetry in English when I was in high school, but uh, just amateur poetry, to write a, a verse of poetry in, in English is much, much easier than it is in Arabic. In Arabic, it's a whole different system that has to have within a morphological aspect, kind of like a certain tone that you have to go through, just like uh, melodies in a way. So to that extent, they, they kind of reached a peak, and this is why uh, Muslims believe that this is the language that was chosen by God to carry his final message. So it was challenging, and it wasn't poetic, it wasn't poetry. And the interpreters of the Qur'an use poetry, use ancient poetry, Arabic classical ancient poetry, as a reference to interpret some of the vocabulary in the Qur'an. And likewise, the Qur'an has now become the main reference for classical Arabic. So if you want to look, look up something, or if you want to uh, check or double-check something, you can have it 
referenced from the language of the Quran. So it has become like the protector or the, the main reference and the main margin for the classical Arabic. Uh, a little bit about the Quran, it's, it's 30 parts, uh, including of 114 surahs. Surah is like the chapter. A special name for the, for the parts of the Quran, it's, uh, it has like 6,236 ayah, and ayah is like the verse, but verse is more, more used with, with poetry. Yet ayah in Arabic means a sign, so it's like every line is a sign in itself, and it's consisting of 77,437 words. So this is the same book, uh, all the way from 1,442 years ago, and until today it's the same number of words, the same copy that is around every Muslim around the world. So this is, like we said, the reference for the classical Arabic. Uh, by the way, classical Arabic in its early ages had no dots, no diacritics. When we say diacritics, it's the tashkil. I think you guys know it. It's the signs put to give the vowel sounds. And uh, guess what? It had no prolonged vowels as well. Uh, back in the time, the alif and the waw and the ya, they only had the, the, the function of a sound and w sound, and then y sound. In the early, um, uh, in the early generations, I think, like, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure, quite sure about that, but maybe four centuries or five centuries later, it, it has become when so many people have accepted Islam and started learning the Qur'an, being not Arab, they couldn't like, understand it that easily, so these uh, additions were made to the language by adding dots and by adding diacritics later on and by using a and w and y. Uh, as a prolonged vowel, uh, vowel sound, which just proves the point that how, to, the, to what extent, the Arabs back then, when it was first revealed, were the, have reached already the peak. So it was very challenging for them. And even uh, up to this day, it's still challenging as a text, because it, it doesn't only require a certain type of reading, rather it has something that's called recitation rules. So even the phonetic, the phonetic aspects of every letter in the Qur'an, that's, that's only uh, special for the Qur'an, changes according to the modes of recitation. So this is pretty much all about the classical Arabic. The main reference for it is the Qur'an and, of course, ancient poetry, like we said. Now, going down to the second level is the modern standard Arabic. We can say that this is, you know, uh, when we say Fusha Arabic, it carries both the classical and the modern standard. And then when we say Ammiya, which is the colloquial or the dialect, it carries all the different uh, dialects of Arabic and all the colloquial Arabic uh, language. Going down from the classical Arabic to the modern standard Arabic, we can say that it's a diluted version of classical Arabic that's used nowadays in, in official mediums. It's like a simple proper Arabic, a simple Fusha, a simplified version of Fusha. It's not that classical, you know, it's not the same language of old poetry or, or the same language of the Qur'an. However, it is a, a simple uh, version of Arabic used in the official mediums, like in documents, in politics, in news, uh, in contracts. Throughout all the Arab countries, when you, when you would write something, or when you would write a contract, it, it has to be written in a modern standard Arabic. In the news, of course, we listen to the news. Uh, all the Arabs listen to news in modern standard Arabic, in documents and uh, politicians and so on. But when we speak in the street, when we speak with, with everyone around, we never use modern standard Arabic. So this will take us down to the next level, which is the colloquial Arabic. Now, the colloquial Arabic is very uh, diverse. We, have, we can classify it mainly into the Egyptian colloquial Arabic. We have the Levantine colloquial Arabic. We have the Gulf colloquial Arabic. And we have the Moroccan or Tunisian colloquial Arabic. Each of them can be looked at as a language family of its own. 
uh, when we say Levantine, it includes the Syrian colloquial Arabic, it includes the Jordanian colloquial Arabic, the Palestinian colloquial Arabic, and the Lebanese colloquial, colloquial Arabic. When we say Gulf, uh, it, it, it already includes the, the Saudi, the Emirati. When we say Moroccan, because uh, as Arabs, we call these countries the Moroccan lands, which is Morocco, Algeria, Algeria and Tunisia, they all have something in common when it comes to the colloquial system of it. But of course, the Algerian colloquial is different from the Tunisian colloquial is different from the Moroccan colloquial. So to that extent, it's very, very diverse. Now, when we go to the Egyptian colloquial, it's the most commonly understood by all Arabs. And this is why it's the most commonly uh, learned as well. If we ask ourselves, why would, would that be? One, it's because, like we said, there are around 350 million Arabs. 100 million Arabs alone are only in Egypt. So this, this has to do with it. Uh, this is one. Number two, of course, is the geopolitical and cultural status of the country uh, among the Arab countries in general. And thanks to the media, because they call Egypt the Arab wood. It's, it's very common that, that any uh, Arab around the, the Arab world would, would be familiar with Egyptian top celebrities from the movies and from the series and from the media in general. But it's not very much the same when it's the other way around. If you ask me about the top celebrities in Syria, I wouldn't really much know, except those who happen to, you know, uh, contribute to Egyptian movies or Egyptian uh, series and so on. And of course, when people learn the Egyptian colloquial Arabic, they tend to learn the standard, which is the Kyrene, uh, the Egyptian colloquial Arabic used by the people of Cairo, the capital. So the Kyrene Egyptian colloquial Arabic. Does this mean that there are no other colloquials within Egypt? Of course not. There are. There is the Alexandrian Egyptian colloquial, and it's very much close to the Kyrene, except for some diacritics when used uh, around some verbs, and very very minor vocabulary as well. We have the Delta accents or dialects, and they are very much diverse. We have the Saidi, which is in, in Upper Egypt. So each and every one of them is, is totally different from the other. However, of course, they all have the same system. And looking at all of that, they all have the same system when it comes to uh, Arabic in general. So when you say, I want to learn Arabic, you have to be target-oriented. It doesn't make sense for someone who wants to learn Arabic, for example, let's say to learn the Quran or to study the Quran, to be learning the Lebanese colloquial Arabic. It, it will not help them. Or for someone... so. Some people, of course, learn the language just for the love of learning a new language, and it's a mental and a cognitive and a neurological workout, and it's it's awesome. It's a great thing. However, for those who are purpose oriented, they have to know what why they are learning this language, and because so many people learn Arabic, when uh, I've I've met so many people who are foreigners living in Egypt, and they would come thinking that just because they know modern standard Arabic, they can simply just get along with anyone around, but that's not the case. So uh, if you're coming to live in a certain country, then you need to learn the basics, at least, of this Egyptian colloquial, uh, of, of the colloquial, sorry, Arabic, of it. Um, accordingly, if, if you're coming to Egypt, then learn a little bit of Egyptian colloquial. If you're coming to, to, to Lebanon, then learn the Lebanese or the Levantine in general uh, colloquial Arabic and so on. If you want it for a career, for a translation, for the, to, to work in some official mediums, for politics whatsoever, then you really need to learn the modern standard Arabic and so on. This was a very, very, as much as I, as I could, a very, very brief intro to the Arabic in general. Thank you for listening to Tripod, the trilingual podcast in its English version. You don't have to like, share, or repost. And we don't have to ask you for this. 
just do what you feel like you want to do. Looking forward to having you back.